Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I thought I would respond to a patron email real quick here. This is from patron CW. This person says, Hi, I'm a, I'm a patron. I've been listening for about a year and just want to say you're doing an excellent job in this podcast. It's getting better and better as you add some really interesting, complex topics. I like how strongly you stick up for social justice. I'm a social worker I'm relatively new to this, and I guess I'd like to write you because my greatest weakness is that I have not integrated the theoretical knowledge, evidence-based practices, etc., with practice. I'd like to get into working in private practice eventually, but probably need to spend at least the next nine years or so until my student loans are paid off in, in an agency of some kind working with lower-income people. So let me just chime in here and say that uh, I'll be talking about this issue of integrating theory in a bit. But just a comment on uh, private practice, you know, it's I don't know where you live or, you know, what your situation is exactly. But private practice, you earn a a lot more money than you do at agencies, sometimes two, three, four, five times, maybe more as much money. The difficulty is, is building a private practice can be difficult. Uh, however, I have seen some people build a private practice very quickly and very effectively. I, I supervise a lot of postgrad people in private practice, and I have seen uh, a lot of variability in how fast people develop their private practice. They're all in Seattle. They're they're all from you know uh, similar programs. Uh, they all have similar skill levels, but there's just something about some people that I've supervised that makes it so that they attract a lot of people or they go after a lot of people, they market better or something. And so I just thought I'd point that out. Um, and I have a lot of ideas about that because, again, I've worked with a lot of people, trial and error, this kind of thing, but I won't go into it. Anyway, the reason why I say that is because uh, patron CW is saying, oh, I'm stuck at an agency for the next nine years or so until my loans are paid off. And then I can go into private practice. And, um, I just, you know, have to say that if you don't want to work at an agency, uh, I mean, I'll say if you, if you want to work at an agency, then, then do that. But if you don't want to, there, there are a lot of other options out there. There's a lot of gigs for therapists and social workers. There's a lot of different types of jobs and, uh, there's a lot of, uh, variance in, in the amount of money people get paid. Anyway, so patron CW goes on and says, I liked your podcast on therapeutic mistakes because I think it was called failures, if I'm not mistaken, because of all of the mistakes you mentioned, mine particularly were the ones about not having a coherent treatment plan, not having a theory and not using evidence when it comes to working with a client. When you're working with a client, how do you determine what the best evidence-based practice is when you have a limited amount of time? Do you have any technical suggestions like using the EBSCO to search for uh, articles on the matter? Is it something you're just supposed to already know or have been able to internalize over the years of working or something that you get through an internship? Okay, so... What I'll say about this is it's going to be uh, kind of nuanced because 
there are so many different types of clients and so many different types of therapists that it, it, it really depends on what type of clients you work with and what type of therapist you want to be. And you have a lot of choices, you know, regarding that. So, you know, for instance, if, if you're, if you're treating people for OCD and that's what you're specializing in, then there's a very specialized treatment uh, for that. We, uh, in the past, you know, would use psychoanalytic treatments. Today, those have been found to not be effective for OCD. And so unless you're using one of the evidence-based practices for OCD, you might be, uh, you know, not within the standard of care. You might be actually unethical because you're not using the uh, prevailing evidence-based treatment. However, there are many people that come into therapy that are suffering from things like um, a lifetime of being emotionally neglected, and they have a lot of quote-unquote symptoms as a result of that. What is the evidence-based treatment for that? Well, there's uh, a lot of possibilities, you know, perhaps, perhaps all the different therapies might work for that person. And, uh, and perhaps none of them will work for that person. How do we even categorize that? What, if it doesn't fit neatly into some DSM diagnosis, then there's not likely to be any kind of research regarding the effective treatments for that sort of thing. Some people might even say that's not even psychotherapy. You're just, you're just talking about, about stuff. And so we, and, and there's so many other permutations of that. There's so many other presenting problems and there's so many other kinds of therapists. And some therapies are only for three sessions and some therapies are for 30 years. So it's, it's very complicated. And it's one of the reasons why I love being a therapist because it's a never ending journey of discovery for me professionally. I've been doing it for 20 years and I'm still learning so much. So, so there's that. And, um, the other thing is that being a therapist is, is very complicated and it, your, yourself is involved in it. It, you know, when you're a plumber, you go to the house and you diagnose the problem and you fix the problem and then you test to see if it worked and your own emotions don't affect the plumbing. When, when you are, uh, you know, in a very bad mood or when you're having a bad day and you follow the exact same script of, of fixing the pipes as a plumber, it, it doesn't affect the job. Whereas when you're in a terrible mood as a therapist, in all likelihood, your treatment is going to suffer. And uh, so that says something about the nature of the job that <clears throat> it, it involves so much of your own personality, your own self. And that's well known within our field. Many people like to be in denial of that, but it's, it's well known. And the relationship is such a crucial factor. The, how strong the relationship is, regardless of the theory, is a, is a strong predictor of, of positive outcomes in therapy and negative outcomes for that matter. So it's a very complicated job and involves your your own self-awareness. It involves wisdom. That's one thing that I, I find is very much uh, not talked about enough in our field is wisdom. As I age and as I gain more experience, I gain what I would like to call wisdom. I'm, I'm not tooting my own horn here. I have a long way to go 
uh, and I'm sure in 20 years I will look back and think, you know, I, I've had a long way to go. But as we age, we gain wisdom, we gain understanding, we gain ability to see the forest through the trees. We, we have the ability to understand nuances of what people are saying and, and pay attention to, to, to certain things to truly listen. I, I believe my ability to empathize with people has increased as I've, as I've aged and as I've gained experience as a therapist. I, I've become better able to manage my countertransference, to know what my issues are. And so all of those things are involved in being a therapist. And, you know, this, this patron who was writing in just graduated a few years ago and is at the very beginning of all of that. Not to say that you can't have wisdom at that at that stage of your professional development, but think where you'll be in 20 years. Okay, but let's get specifically to integrating theory into practice. The patron said, are, are you just supposed to just, what, what was the way that, uh, is, is it something you're just supposed to already know? This question, I get various different versions of this question a lot from people, and I have to admit that I used to think this too when I was a, a novice therapist. I, you know, I went to graduate school. I spent a lot of hours reading. I spent a lot of time in, you know, at my internship. And I, once I graduated, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm graduated. I'm done. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professional and I'm ready to go. What I didn't realize was I was at the very beginning of my learning when it came to theory. I was at, I barely knew anything about theory at that point. Graduate school gives you a very, very brief taste of what theory is and a very, very surface understanding. There are plenty of people that graduate from graduate school having no knowledge of some of the theories they've been exposed to. Now, they might be able to spout out a few things on a multiple choice test, but I find that with my supervisees and when I look back on, on myself back then, when you actually ask them, what are you doing right now as a therapist? What theory are you using or what theory are you emulating or what theory are you attempting? Many novice therapists will say, I have no idea. So it's that integration of all that book learning and theory learning with what it what they actually do as a therapist themselves. And this is something that is not talked enough about in supervision or in academia for psychotherapists. We are in academia, we're very good at having people read books on stuff and testing them on whether or not they learned that sort of stuff. We're not very good, in my opinion, at helping people to integrate all this stuff. And so I spend a fair amount of time doing that. When I'm supervising people, they'll present on a case and they'll they'll do something. Like, for instance, last last week, a supervisee, he was presenting on a case and he, sh you know, he played some audio of a session. And then I had him pause it and I asked everyone in the room, I said, what theory is he using right there? You know, what theory? And, and I inevitably get a fair amount of blank looks, not because they're stupid, but because we just don't do a good job of, of helping people learn that. And it's very complicated. And so 
I'll walk people through it. Well, you know, here's what he did. That's, that is indicative of schema therapy, or that's indicative of interpersonal or psychodynamic, or that's an indicative of, of cognitive therapy or behavioral therapy. And so integrating that takes a lot of time. There are so many theories is, is another problem is that if we just had one theory of psychotherapy, then it would be so much easier because there'd be a, you know, a a small set of principles that you have to understand and a small set of interventions you have to understand and, and different measures, you know, that measure whether or not therapy is working or not. There are 400, 500 plus fully developed psychotherapy theories and you at best will even know about 20 of them and you will at best uh, be able to talk about one or two of them intelligently. So my advice to patron CW that is writing in is one, have very low expectations regarding your ability to integrate theory into practice because it is totally normal to to not be very good at that at, at your stage of development, and uh, there's no way you could have you know developed uh, you know the kind of skills and the experience and wisdom necessary to to do that sort of thing at, at your stage, even though you're three or four years after graduation. And the other thing I'll say is, if you want to get good at it, you have to continue to learn and you have to continue to pursue. You have to read books, listen to podcasts, uh, get good supervision from someone who knows what they're doing regarding theory. Ask that supervisor to help you integrate your theory into practice. It is extremely complicated. Um, If if all you do is follow an evidence-based practice, for instance, you only treat phobias and you follow an evidence-based practice regarding cognitive behavioral therapy to treat the phobia or exposure or whatever that can be, that can be very complicated even in and of itself, but a lot more easier to learn and a lot easier to, um, to feel confident in, in a short amount of time. But for the vast majority of us therapists, we tend to treat a lot of different things. And in my book need to be very aware of many different theories because different theories mixed together are the best kinds of theories to use with different clients. And uh, it's in the past, it was, it was shameful to be what they call eclectic, you know, where, where you integrate or you have a lot of different theories that you ascribe to. It was akin to, to uh, for many people to, to saying that you're a ridiculous therapist because in the past, and to some extent to, to, this, to this day, you're supposed to say, well, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist, or I'm a psychodynamic therapist, or I'm a narrative therapist. You're supposed to identify that. But um, in my view, what that does is it means that you, uh, you know, the analogy, the cliche, or the saying, the idiom that they'll say is, if, if all you have is a hammer, then everything's a nail to you. Well, it, that's very true in psychotherapy. When a client comes to you, particularly if you open your doors in private practice and allow lots of different clients to come to you, then you're going to need more than a hammer. You're going to need a saw and you're going to need a screwdriver and you're going to need, you know, you're, you're going to need a lot of different tools when you treat lots of different kinds of people. 
And in my book, that's competent ethical treatment is, is to be eclectic, to be integrative, to know many different theories and to use all of them uh, depending on the situation. So anyway, in a nutshell, I'll tell patron CW, look, it's totally normal that you're struggling with it. Uh, don't be ashamed of that. Of course, you don't uh, feel confident in that way and continue to learn. And, and maybe the most important thing that I should just highlight that I said was get, get good supervision. You know, reading stuff is one thing, uh, listening to podcasts and other thing, but getting a supervisor to go back and forth with and, and, and really uh, have that supervisor walk with you and uh, be able to pick up on things. You know, for instance, uh, I work with supervisees that have been practicing for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and they'll, you know, we'll be talking about something and the conversation will get really weird, you know, because they'll present on a case and we'll talk about theory and, and it becomes extremely nuanced and, and subtle the way that we, um, you know, talk about cases and the way we talk about human beings and the human condition and the meaning of life. And, and all of that gets wrapped up in the development of the integration of theory. It's not just understanding you know, the bullet points, you really have to wrestle with this stuff. The people who often developed these theories wrestled with the theory their entire life. You know, there are psychodynamic writers who struggled with their own, their own personal tiny little corner of theory for their entire life. And so it's, it's very complicated and requires a lot of conversations and a lot of trial and error and a lot of thinking about it. And the reason why I'm at my phase of understanding is because I've, I've done all that wrestling and I've had all those conversations and I've read all those things. And, and I've, I've taught, you know, as a teacher, I, as an instructor, as a professor, whenever I lecture on any particular theory, I, I go down that rabbit hole and, and learn it forwards and backwards so that I could teach it. And so that's another reason why I've been able to further, uh, you know, go, go down the road regarding theory as, as an instructor, I'm forced to, <laughs> to, to, you know, because there, there, there's nothing, uh, that will accelerate your learning of something like having to teach something. Um, so, uh, you know, and these podcasts also, you know, whenever I go down a rabbit hole on a particular topic for the podcast, I, I learn a lot during that process. And so, if, if you're just relying on your graduate school to have given you that, that wisdom and that professional, uh, that professional development and that, that professional confidence, if you're relying on that, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree there because um, it's just not possible within two, three, four years to um, have uh, that integrated theory experience. Anyway, all right, well, that does it for the podcast. I don't think I've introduced the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda, and if you haven't become a patron of the podcast, please do so, because we're always um, wanting to have more uh, patrons. Um, also, as I've been mentioning in, in other episodes, we're going to start adding advertisements. Um, uh, there's this outfit that is um, going to take care of all that for us. They're going to just insert ads, random ads. I don't know what the ads are going to be. Um, I, you know, I apologize for the ads. The ads aren't great, but it's a way to uh, provide 
revenue for the for the podcast so that we can all dedicate more time to it. Because I, I think if you've been listening for a while, you've noticed that when we have more time to dedicate to this podcast, the podcast definitely improves, right? And there were times in the past when I had zero time for the podcast, and it shows because I, you know, was unprepared. The topics weren't very interesting, and and so I, um, uh, you know, so this is all. In it. So adding the advertisements. Is, will be directly related to improving the podcast and, and providing uh, the podcast that uh, you guys deserve because you're deserving listeners, right? All right, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.